I'm going to ask you to stand as we read 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Again, last Sunday of our This Is Us series and the first Sunday of Advent, and around this idea of hope, they really are going to come together. So 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that... You would show yourself to us as present. We recognize this morning that you're here. God, I pray that we would be able to experience that. I pray that you'd just begin to answer real questions that people have and you'd meet uh, real people in the midst of their real pain. God, I pray that as we attempt to just try to set a framework for understanding how weary the world is and how hard things are, God, that you'd give us direction and that we'd see the importance of each other and the importance of relationships this morning. So God, give us the ears to hear, uh, give the gifts that need to be in operation uh, for you to do the work that you want to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So the first Sunday of Advent, last week in the This Is Us series, this series has been subtitled, The Only You That God Can Change Is The Real You. We could say that in the plural as well, the only us that God can change is the real us. Now, Advent is all about hope. It's an eager anticipation that things have the potential and will be different because of God. But Advent is this celebration of the light dawning, of this reality that those who have dwelled in darkness have seen a great light. And in this series, we've talked about our disappointment in life, our disappointment with God, uh, the silence of God. We talked about anxiety and depression. And then we talked about what do we do when we're in the midst of that darkness? So we pray, we worship, and today we're going to talk about the importance and centrality of one another. But Advent has this idea of weariness. There's a famous line in a Christmas hymn that says this, the weary world rejoices. Now, can I just get an amen? Is the world and is life weary? Amen, right? Is it hard? It is. And so the reality of Advent, this building to Christmas, is a deep recognition and an understanding that the world is weary, but that there's something happening because of God that allows the world to rejoice. Ann Voskamp is a writer that I highly recommend you look into. And this week, she tweeted out, which is what you do on Twitter, the social media platform. She tweeted out this. She said, this is the first Sunday. The first Sunday of Advent is coming. Hope candles lighting everywhere. God giving us all, even us, hope. Hope for you. Hope for you with the kid that seems to have no way through. Hope for you with a heart that is beaten down right now. Hope for you with so much black in front of you that you can't find the light. 
Hope for you who can't see tomorrow being any glint bit better than today. Then she says this, it doesn't matter if the world whispers nothing will ever improve. Nothing will ever get better. Nothing will ever change. She says it doesn't matter if the world whispers that. God favors the darkest places so you can see his light the brightest. God favors the darkest places so we can see his light the brightest. Here's the truth. I have no idea, nor does any leader here, know all the ways in which you're hurting. We could have taken different issues and filled an entire year of a series about the ways in which you may be hurting. But here's what we do know. And maybe the main point of this series was to say this, you're not alone. Too many of us and many of us in this room operate as though we're alone in our struggles. You're not alone. We don't know all the ways you're hurting, but you're not alone. Here's the other thing we'd say is we have to be aware of this. If the only us God can change is the real us, the only you God can change is the real you, you have to be perceptive and aware of what's going on, of what you're really feeling and what you're really experiencing. And then here's the last thing, which is the theme of this message. Don't go at it alone. You are never meant to go at it alone. The world doesn't operate and the world wasn't designed in order for you to go at it alone. So here is a theological truth that is foundational to everything we're going to talk about today. And I want to tell you, it's not just foundational for us as Christians. If you sit in this room and you go, I don't even believe this, the world tells you that what I'm about to say is true. Here's the truth. We were made by relationship and we were made for relationship. Now, again, if you sit in this room and you go, I'm not a Christian, you could say we are made for relationship. But from my perspective and our perspective in believing the Bible, here's the reality. There's one God, and the God is relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit operating as community, oneness that is, could no more be one than one is one, but it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a relationship. We are made by relationship, and then the Bible says every human being is made in the image of God. Did you know that? That every human being, every human being is made in the image of God, which means we're made in the image of relationship. Which means we're made by relationship and for relationship. We were never meant to go at life alone. Life is not an individual sport. It's not. The world doesn't operate like that. If you're in the midst of trying to find a job, you know people will make these statements. It's all about who you know. The world operates in networks. The world operates in relationships. And the reality is we do as well. And yet too oftentimes when things are very dark, things are very hard, we forget that reality. God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ, didn't go at it alone. My wife reminded me of this last night. Jesus didn't go at it alone. He was sent into the world by a God who's triune, and then he was around crowds of people all the time. And then inside those crowds, he had 12 people that he was with all the time, the 12 disciples. And of those 12, there were three of them, Peter, James, and John, and who he was with even more. And then there was one 
that the Bible uniquely says was the one in whom Christ loved in this unique way, and it was John. And even when all of those disciples and even the crowds went away from him, the times when Jesus needed them the most, they betrayed him, the time when he asked them to pray for him, they left him. He still had the one, his father, that he was in communion with, which is why we taught these first two weeks on prayer and the necessity of us praying in these times of darkness and in these times of trials and the weariness of the real world and the fact of how we worship. So there's three things I want to tell you today about this reality that we need each other. The first one is this, that we must walk in the light. First John 1, 5, and 7, the passage we stood and read says this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Now we spoke and we've said many times that there is so much of life that the darkness is palatable. And what I mean by palatable is like you can literally almost taste it. You certainly can physically feel it in your body. You feel it deep inside and you feel it on the outside of your body. These moments in life that you just want a flicker of light. This is really important. God is light. When you look for the light and you're looking for a flicker of light, pure light, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That many times in the midst of our dark darkness, we're scared to go to God. We're scared to go to God that will he, he know all my stuff or we're scared to go to God fundamentally around God's goodness. Here's the truth. God is light. He is good and in him there's no darkness at all. So if we don't start from the premise that if you're looking for a flicker of light, go to God, we are mistaken. Verse 6 says this, if we say we have fellowship with him, that's with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, I want you to follow this. He's saying if we have fellowship, that word really is communion. If we really are saying we're in Christ and he is us and God is light, if we say we have fellowship with him who is light while we walk in the darkness, that's incongruent. That's not true. Okay, that's not true. We don't practice the truth. He then goes on and says something that is a connection that is all throughout the Bible, and it's this. But if we walk in the light, that's the statement, walk in the light. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Here's the connection. The connection in the Bible is always you can't be connected with God without being connected with each other. Love God, the greatest of all the commandments, with everything you are, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it and inseparable to that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two, Jesus said, hang all the law and the prophets. Here's what he's saying. The whole Bible is summed up in this. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the Bible is expounded from that reality. And he's doing the same thing. He's saying God is light. If you have fellowship with him, you walk and live in the light. And if you live in him, you have fellowship with each other. Here's his point. Life is... And if life is designed and sustained by God, life is relation, relational, and we need each other. We have to have one another. If we walk in the light, as he in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, 
His Son cleanses us from all sin. So here's the reality. It already said God is light. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So God is light. God is truth. Which if you do an easy equation, if God is light and God is truth, then truth is light. Walking in the light is walking in Christ. But what means, what that means is you're walking in truth. Not in lies and falsities. In openness, not in secrets. God is light. God is truth. Truth is light. And the truth sets us free. So if we're aspiring and desiring to be out of this prison and we want to be free, we got to walk in the light, which is walking in truth, which is walking in God. Walking in truth with one another. That's the fellowship. Okay? That's the fellowship. In the Bible... There are all these what they call one another's. So love one another, bear one another's burdens, meet with one another. And the one another's go on and on and on. 94 times in the New Testament, I'm sorry, 100 times in 94 verses. One another's are there. I don't say that to sound smart, just to say it says it a lot. Right? And one another's means simply this. We need each other. We need each other. So if that's true, why is it? I'm about to ask you a question. If that's true, why is it that so often we tend to retreat from everybody that can help when we need help? Why do we try to go at it alone? Why? I would say lies. We believe lies. So here's one of the lies that we believe. We believe fundamentally we're the only one. I'm struggling with this kind of depression. I'm struggling with this anxiety. I'm struggling with this addiction. I'm struggling with this vice. I'm struggling with this amount of loneliness. I'm struggling with this kind of sadness, but nobody else is. Okay, that's a lie from the pit of hell, and it's just factually untrue. The truth is, the vast majority of the people in this room are struggling with it. And we just need to come in the open with it so we can help each other and ultimately we can help ourselves. Here's another lie. I just don't want to burden somebody else with that. Okay, that's a lie even in the midst of the world, but in the church, we're called to bear each other's burdens. We're going to look at this passage in just a minute. So that is a fundamental lie. If we're to bear each other's burdens, you have to bear yours to somebody. So to say, well, I don't want to burden somebody with that, you're walking away from that which can ultimately help you and you're not allowing them the joy of giving themselves to you in service to receive the blessing and the goodness that God promises when he says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So the lie we're the only one, the lie that we're burdening ourselves, the lie that we'll feel foolish. And I just say about what? Being human? You feel foolish to be human. So in the end, what you're saying is, it's foolish to be real and to be a human. I'd rather live with a facade and be fake and live in my own prison than I would be vulnerable, open, and honest with people. Here's the last lie, and I'd say it's the fundamental lie of all of it. It's the lie that our culture communicates all the time, and it's the lie of strength. This lie of you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The lie fundamentally that rests at 
he's a self-made man, she's a self-made woman. That's just a lie. There's this awesome scene in John chapter 13 where, if you will, the camera really slows down and you begin to really see the way Jesus is moving, almost his cadences. And the camera slows down and Jesus takes off his outer garments and he wraps this towel around his waist and he grabs a wash basin and he's about to go wash the feet of his disciples. And as he moves towards Peter, Peter goes, what are you doing? Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, what I'm doing now as your teacher, you will not understand, but I need to do it. And Peter goes, you will not wash my feet. Likely because he thinks, well, this would shame Jesus. This is a task too menial for Jesus. But I'd say even more, Peter's deepest fear is that it would shame him. I don't need you to, you to wash my feet. Someone else will do that, or I'll wash my own feet. And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. Peter then goes, then wash all of me, Lord. Every piece and every part of me. What was standing between Peter and being served? His pride. The lie of self-sufficiency. The lie of I can do that myself. You know, Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount and there's this section called the Beatitudes and it's blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. The word blessed is the Greek word makarios. I don't tell you this to sound smart, but the word makarios means happy. And he says, happy are the poor in spirit, those who recognize their neediness. Happy are those who know they need to be helped. Happy are those who know they can't go, to, go at it on their own. Happy are those who know they have challenges, disruptions, problems that are too big for them to solve, that they need God ultimately in it. And they need how God establishes his care. How does God establish his care? We'll get to that in just a minute. So walking in the light. Walking in the light is walking in Christ. It's walking, listen to me, in the open rather than in the secret. Secrets are found in the darkness. Openness is found in the light. Living in the light is living together. Living in darkness is living isolated and alone. We need each other. David, who wrote big chunks of the Old Testament, has this moment where he talks about living in darkness. And he says, when I was living in darkness, I was silent. And when I was silent, my bones wasted away. When I was silent, my bones wasted away. Now he's speaking about confessing sin. Confessing of sleeping with another man's wife and then having that man killed. But the truth applies way beyond just sin that we've done. But it also talks about being silent of when you've been sinned against and it's plundered you into deep anxiety and depression. It also, the silence also speaks to those things deep within you about that you need to communicate about your loneliness and about your sadness and about your struggles fundamentally. When you're silent, your bones waste away. It doesn't just affect you inside in some place called the soul. It affects your physical body. We're one person. 
Living in the light is living in openness to God, yes, but also to one another. Walking in the light isn't perfection. There's a guy that I've spent a little bit of time with and then read him at a distance. His name's Chip Dodd, and he started this place in Nashville called the Center for Professional Excellence. And Nashville, Memphis is like this too. There's a huge medical community. And if you didn't know this, there's massive burnout rate amongst doctors, massive burnout rate. So they started being there when there was a burnout of the doctor. And burnout doesn't just mean I can't be a doctor anymore. It means ruining your life. Men addicted to cocaine, doctors addicted to pornography, male and female doctors alike that ruin their marriages and ruin their families and ultimately ruin their lives, all because they burned out in the midst of it. And he began to study it. And as he studied it, he said, the trends amongst leaders, people that the world would say are great, is that they're grossly unhealthy. And they're grossly unhealthy for one reason. They don't come clean and honest with what's really going on in them. And they believe this lie that they got to go at it alone. He says this about walking in the light. He said, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He does, however, long for us to be perceptive. Okay, this is me now. This is just an appeal. Be perceptive and be honest with yourself. Slow down long enough to ask what's going on inside of yourself and be aware of it and be perceptive. Chip Dodd goes on, he says, he doesn't expect that we don't struggle, that we don't have anguish, that we don't make mistakes, but he cares that we are attuned to the mistakes we will inevitably make. God cares that we're honest about our struggles. We're honest about the darkness. We're honest about our blunders, but not so that we will beat ourselves up Not so that we'll beat ourselves up until he's satisfied that we have been sufficiently shamed for our behavior. That's not the point. That's believing a lie. The lie is that if I'm honest, I'm just going, I'm terrible, I'm this. No, he's going, that's not the point. The point is that we would come clean and honest with God, honest with ourselves, and honest with other people because God is interested, here's what he says, in integration, which means you being whole. He's interested in connection. Folks, there are so many of us in this room that struggle to connect with others, which God's saying we have to do because we don't slow down to be integrated in ourselves. And so we think we're trying to protect ourselves when we're actually destroying ourselves. And that doesn't mean, well, go get yourself together and then you can have a real relationship. It just means just be honest. Be aware. Say you need help. Talk about the darkness you're in. Talk about the anxiety. You're not alone. We're here for each other. Telling the truth, he goes on, Chip Dodd, both verbally and non-verbally about our struggles. Telling the truth both verbally and non-verbally about our struggles, about our mistakes, about our situation enhances our integration and our connection with other people. So in real simple terms, you need people And you have to have people in your life that you can just go, this is honestly where I am. Here's the next thing is we must bear burdens, Galatians 6.2. So we must walk in the light, but we must bear burdens. This is part of fellowship. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you follow the logic of the Apostle Paul, and specifically the context of Galatians 5 and 6, the law of Christ, fulfilling the law of Christ is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself, for this fulfills the law. 
Romans talks about this. Galatians talks about it. Ephesians talks about it. The Bible talks about it. You fulfill the law by loving your neighbor, by bearing one another's burdens, which means this. Somebody give me a loud hallelujah. Love is hard. Right? Every married couple's like, hallelujah, right? And if you have kids, if you're called to love your neighbor, which means the people you work with, love is hard, but we're to bear one another's burdens. That bearing literally speaks of the language of lifting someone's arms when they can no longer lift them. Carrying with them their cares when they can't carry them. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ of loving your neighbor. But if we bear each other's burdens, that demands we share our own burdens. How do I bear a burden with you if you don't share your burden with me? Romans 12.5 says, weep with those who weep. How do I weep with you if you won't weep in my presence? That you are so convinced you can't show weakness like that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I can't bear your burdens if you don't bear them with me. I can't weep with you when you're weeping if you won't weep amongst me. Our pride limits that. Don't never let them see you sweat. Except now when you're in rehab because you're sweating so much. Never let them see you sweat until you have a nervous breakdown. I'd rather have them see me sweat now and lead me into a path of healing than to end up in a ward because I've had a nervous breakdown because I lived against the grain of creation, which is relationship and love. It's Peter. Let me love you. Let me wash you. No, you can't do that. You better let me do it. This isn't just an option. It's not a hallmark card, folks. It's reality. We need each other. Here's the other thing. Confession brings healing, which means confession of your sin or confession of your need. That's why James speaks about this. Confess to one another and you will be healed. We've got to bear each other's burdens. Here's the last thing. We have to love at all times. Love at all times. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Leave that passage up there. Just look at that with me for a minute. A friend loves at all times. Why do you think the wisdom writer in Proverbs has to say a friend loves at all times? Why does he say all? love's hard, right? It's way easier to love you when things are going good. But to love you when things are hard, to bear burdens with you, to love you when you're hard, at all times, a friend loves. And a brother is born for the good times. That's not what it says. A brother's born for adversity. Jesus is called our friend. We're called to be friends with one another. The Proverbs speak about these things, that faithful are the wounds of a friend, that even in the midst of our hardship and darkness, we need people there with us, but we need friends who are willing to go, hey, man, man some, some of this is your own doing. Now, we're going to talk in a minute. I don't want that to be their first words to me, but true friends are there at all times. They're there when things are hard. They're there when you've lost a loved one. They're there when you've entered into rehab and when you've lost your job. 
They're there when your kids aren't doing what they want, when you've screwed up, when you've done that. Friends are there at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Folks, the Bible testifies to these things that our world is writing and writing and writing about that which is true. There's a book called Born for Love. It's not a Christian book. It's actually a second book written by the same team who wrote an original book called The Boy Who Was Raised a Dog. And if you want to be super depressed and see how sick evil is, like sick evil is, this whole book is about in their psychiatry practice and in their counseling practice, how they see the negative effects of the way kids are raised and the negative effects of environments that human beings are put in and how it affects them to the point of where when a boy is put in a cage and raised as a dog, they act like a dog. And how trauma begins to affect, and it is a dark, dark, depressing book. So I think enough people read it that they're like, can you give us some hope? So they wrote this book called Born for Love, which is the power of a positive, loving environment and how it literally transforms. Love transforms people, like rewires their brains, transforms people by being in loving environments. Environments that go, I will never leave you or forsake you. When things get hard, I'm not bailing. I'm going to sit with you in the midst of the muck and the mess and the power of that to transform. And here's one of the fundamental things they say. Friends and family are the medicine. Friends and family are the medicine. Again, our culture, there's a very famous TED Talk that was given. And the title of the TED Talk is this, Everything You Think You Know About Addiction Is Wrong. This was a guy who grew up, from London, grew up in a, a family of addictions, drug addictions, alcohol addictions, all of these darkness all around him. And he went on a quest to go, what ultimately is addiction? Now, this is him, not me right now, but he says, I don't think it's fundamentally chemical dependency and a needing to break chemical dependency. His submission is this, the opposite of addiction is connection. He traveled the world and he went, the people that got well out of this kind of darkness and despondency got out of it because they had real friends and people who really functioned like family. Connection. People that really loved them. Now, I know I'm talking about addiction and we're in the midst of going, but what if I just struggle with anxiety or depression or darkness or the weariness of life? It's the same thing. We are healed in connection by being united, by following the ways of Jesus when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. But we must acknowledge love is hard. So here's just a few simple things that I would say of how we can love one another. There'd be many more, but here's some simple things. You need to use your whole self to love. Let me start this way. Use your eyes. Okay, use your eyes. So when somebody comes to you and when we now go, you know what, I'm going to develop the courage to actually just get vulnerable with someone and tell them what I'm feeling right now. Look at them. When their eyes get misty, look in their eyes and see the mist in their eyes. When their eyes look scared, see scared eyes. When their hand begins to tremble, use your hand, put it on their hand. Just the security, hey, I'm here, I'm with you, and I'm not going. And say words like, I see you because you've used your eyes. Okay, use your eyes, use your hands to hug them, to hold their trembling hand in the midst of it. Here's maybe the best part and most underutilized part of your body to love somebody. Your ears. 
This is why the Bible says, be quick to listen and slow to what? Speak. You know what the Bible's saying? Shut up. <laughs> Most of the time when people are in pain, they don't need your sermon. They don't need you to be their counselor. They need you to listen to them. They need you to see them. They need you to hug them. They need you to be there the second, third, fourth, 44th time. Use your eyes, use your hands, use your ears. When you do that, when we do that, when we use our eyes, we use our ears, we touch them, it affects our hearts. This is what the Bible calls compassion, which the word means bowels of mercy. Bowels of mercy, like in your gut, your innards are ripped apart. That's what leads you then to be able to actually weep when somebody's weeping because you feel it with them. But you won't feel it if you don't look, if you don't listen, if you don't shut your mouth. We've got to feel it with them and use our whole selves, all of us, to love in the midst of this. Let me just tell you this. I mean this in all seriousness. There is huge power in the word of God. And we love worship. And we love to pray together. But candidly, as leaders... And I hope we would all say this together. I don't want to be a church that's known for, man, they have ripping music. Right? All of the people that get up and speak, they do a, a really good job, right? I want to be known for love. I'd love to see, no pun intended, I would love to see just a contagious spreading of lived love. Little stuff. You need this, I help meet your need. We're present with people. We're doing it. Folks, that's the church. That's living the way of Jesus. The reality of compassion and the willingness to sit there and when honesty is needed, we'll say it. But that's what being the church is. Amen? Let's pray and then we're going to take communion. Father, we need you. We say to you that love is hard and there's nobody who knows how hard love is like you know. When we say we need to give our whole selves and our bodies, Christ, you're the one who literally gave your body. I pray right now, um, Father, and I ask for your spirit. Your spirit's the one who can communicate to us together as a church, and your spirit's the one who can communicate to each individual in this room. And I pray that you would just touch folks now. God, in a powerful way and in a personal way that you'd touch them. In Christ's name we pray, amen.